0: It has been uh, really a bombshell few weeks for the Canadian military. It all started when Global News first reported sexual misconduct allegations against former Chief of Defence Staff Jonathan Vance. That was just about a month ago. Vance is facing allegations of inappropriate behaviour with two female subordinates. He denies all allegations of inappropriate behaviour. And then the man who replaced him as chief of defense staff admiral art mcdonald stepped aside after news broke that the military police are investigating him in connection with allegations of sexual misconduct there have been complaints about the culture in the canadian military for decades and despite reports one done just what five and a half years ago and promises to change it nothing has changed the House of Commons Defence Committee is now investigating the allegations against Vance is taking a look at at what is going on And those who study this issue issue say now is the time for the committee and all political parties to break away from the status quo and make meaningful change. What does that look like? Dr. Maya Eichler is an expert on military sexual misconduct. She leads the Centre for Social Innovation and Community Engagement in Military Affairs at Mount uh, St. Vincent University in Halifax. Doctor, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, it uh, you know this has been a, a conversation that has really been in the headlines, um, especially over the past month. But of course, we know over the past five or six years, we remember uh, the chief of defense staff coming out with Operation Honor. We heard then the next chief of defense staff, Art McDonald, promised to make sure that um, that uh, that victims, that survivors, were taken care of but Mm -hmm. here we are. Let's start with this question. What do you believe? What has allowed sexual misconduct to be so pervasive in the Mm -hmm. military for so long? Well, I think we need to start with the broader context. So we need to
1: understand the history of the military as a male-dominated, highly masculinized institution. And so this institution has historically been designed and built around men, specifically white heterosexual men. And it's an institution that has a long history of legal discrimination against women, against LGBTQ members. You know, it was only in 1989 that the combat ban was lifted on women. Uh, it was only in 1992 that LGBTQ members could openly serve. So, you know, those legal discriminations have been lifted, but the culture hasn't changed. Uh, and that culture continues to define the quote-unquote ideal soldier as male, as white, as heterosexual. Um, and so those who don't fit that preconceived norm of what the soldier should look like are too often still treated as second-class soldiers, and so I think that's at the root of the problem, that you know, we see this ongoing perpetuation of that male soldier norm that enables um, the normalization of the kind of gender-based violence and discrimination that we're seeing today and still struggling with today.
0: In an article that um, you recently co-authored, you said, quote, fundamental military culture change is the only way to get to the root causes that creates an environment in Mm -hmm. which sexual misconduct occurs and goes unreported. How does that that happen? How how do we start making Mm -hmm. change? That's been talked about for years. (laughs) It's a big question, and I think, you know, when...
1: uh, To achieve fundamental culture change really requires a complete rethinking of what the problem is. So, sexual misconduct is not just a problem of underreporting. It's not just a problem of not enough people coming forward to report. It's not even a problem of not enough investigations and of not having enough women in the ranks. But I think, you know, what we need is really to think about a fundamental change in the quality of the military as a workplace. How do we create a workplace where everyone, you know, the whole diversity of Canadian society can belong without having to give up part of themselves? And so I think it's a broader question of what kind of institution do we as Canadians want the military to be? You know, what does, you know, a soldier look like? What kind of skills and values do we want our soldiers to have? And what's so difficult about this question is because it links to the bigger question of, you know, what is the purpose of our military? You know, are we still uh, thinking that the Canadian Armed Forces is going to be primarily involved in hand-to-hand, you know, boots on the ground type of combat, or are we thinking of... The Canadian military as really becoming a modern, professional, uh, cyber-focused military, and so all of those, you know, questions then go back to: well, how do we best um, train our soldiers? What does professional education look like? Um, who is promoted? What kind of behavior is rewarded? And I think the military has been put in a difficult position because it's been asked to change, but we haven't really necessarily told it what kind of military we want it to be in the future. And so that's why I have been arguing that we need a broader national conversation on this. This is not something the military on on its own can really decide or resolve.
0: You know, and and that's interesting, and and we've heard that uh, brought up uh, recently, and uh, we've we've been hearing about independent oversight being needed, but we know that the military really has long pushed back about having, you know, quotes, outsiders being involved in in oversight. Um, Why do you think there has been that pushback, and and how do we push back against that notion? How, uh, how, How can we get those in command who are making the decisions or the politicians who would make that decision say, okay, this is what needs to be done. We do need independent oversight.
1: So the first thing I'd say is that the task at hand is too big for the military to solve on its own. Mm -hmm. Um, Addressing sexual misconduct and its root causes really does require some special expertise and and types of skills that the military does not necessar- necessarily have at this point. Um, and so it makes total sense for the military to draw upon outside expertise to accomplish the task. Um, but I think there also needs to be more transparency and accountability about that outside involvement. Um, you know, what uh, outside experts saying? You know, is, are the recommendations being implemented? Why are they not being implemented? I think these questions need to be openly discussed. Um, the other thing I would say is that there's there's a lot of ideas floating around right now um, around external oversight and people actually mean quite different things by that. Um, you know, some are talking about better oversight over the sexual misconduct response center that was set up five years ago. Some people are talking about outside oversight over the military uh, and its culture change uh, strategy. And so I think the, the defense committee um, really should focus its next next couple of meetings on discussing, you know, what exactly do these solutions look like, what are the different proposals on the table, um, and have a broader national conversation about this so that we can move forward in a productive uh, way, um, focusing on long-term solutions.
0: Yeah, the Defense Committee is really uh, well. There's a lot on its plate right now. Obviously, there's some big decisions uh, ahead. It's really at a, at a crossroads. We can continue on with the status quo, or we—or and I use the word we— or it can it, it can try to implement some meaningful change. How optimistic are you that that might happen? Well, I think it
1: has to happen. Um If it doesn't happen right now, it's going to happen uh, down the road. Uh, I I am always optimistic because I think that uh, we have a collective responsibility to find long-term solutions, and I think it's a, a moment in time for everyone to ask themselves, um, including people sitting on the defense committee, what is in the best interests of the men and women in uniform? You know, um, what is it that they need most now? Um, and they, what they really need is for us not to get too caught up in party politics. Uh, you know, neither the conservatives nor the liberals are looking that good in this story. What men and women in uniform need are long-term solutions that focus on the root causes of sexual misconduct. Uh, and I'm really concerned that, you know, an investigation However, you know, whatever the outcome and the findings may still not give us that. Um, and so I think that we do need to focus on on this broader national conversation uh, around military culture change and what external oversight might look like. Uh, and I think we all need to be involved in that conversation. The military what is too I- important. Sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, go ahead. (laughs) I was going to say the military is too important a social and political institution for it to make those decisions on its own, and the task at hand is also too complex for it to, to be able to do it on its own.
0: What more do you think could be done inside the military to bre- better protect those who um, have dealt with 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 violence with misconduct with discrimination we know uh, we know we are seeing more uh, you know uh, finding the strength and a safe place mm-hmm. to come forward with their story but there are still many that are, are fearful what it could mean what do we need to do at that point in in, in right inside there Mhm. Well, I think here too, external
1: accountability is the key. Um, you know, people now. Do sort of have a place to turn with the Sexual Misconduct Response Center, but it, it isn't really a voice for them. So I think we do need some sort of agency that can give voice um, to the people within. You know, the military workplace is a very unique workplace. Uh, it is not a unionized workplace, uh, it is not a place where people really have voice and representation. And so in all these discussions, it's really important to recognize that nature, the, you know, the nature of the military workplace, um, and the way in which it enables the abuse of power. And so, you know, it's not surprising that the highest incidents of sexual assault are reported among women at the most junior ranks, right? It is about sort of the power dynamics. And, um, you know, whether we want to think about unionization or not, um, what is needed is some better kind of representation of of the voices, of the lived experience of those who don't have power in the institution right now. And again, this is something the Defense Committee could tackle to ask that question. Uh, You know, it's not something for me as an expert to decide. It is really a broader national conversation that needs to happen around um, what this workplace looks like and what we would like it to look like in the future.
0: Before I let you go, we know it's been, you know, just what, just over about five years, five and a half, six years since uh, Justice uh, Deschamps' external review of the military led to a series of recommendations that led to Operation Honor, which, you know, aimed to eliminate sexual misconduct. Uh, We know that hasn't worked. Um, Is there anything in those recommendations that we can use moving forward? Like, I, I look at that and go, that's, that's a real shame that, that nothing more came out of that. I know that military members have sat through Operation Honour briefings that uh, they, they, mm-hmm. they, 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 they go through, um, you know, training, all of that sort of thing. Um, what happened there? Does that go back to the culture? <laughs> is that where it all stands yeah, from? Yeah, so, so the problem is that the 10
1: recommendations of the Deschamps report were not fully implemented. Right? Yeah. The first recommendation was uh, that the military should acknowledge that sexual misconduct is a is a systemic and pervasive problem. They did do that. I would say that the other nine recommendations were not fully implemented. The yeah. second recommendation was around culture change and a real culture yeah. change strategy, which didn't happen. Uh, and and the and eight of the ten recommendations hinged on the creation of an external accountability centre uh, on sexual misconduct. Yeah. Um, you know, we got the sexual misconduct. Response centre, which is not anything close to what Deschamps had envisaged. Um, so the recommendations were not fully implemented. I think, yeah. you know, it's not simply that there wasn't enough will at the leadership level. I mean, I do think there was resistance in the beginning, especially if we think back to then uh, CDS, Tom Lawson's very first reaction to the report, which was quite negative and sort of full of disbelief. And then after that, what we saw was sort of the reluctant acceptance of the findings. But really, we, we allowed the military to implement these recommendations on its own. Basically, you know, we allowed the military to self-monitor and self-reform, which did not work. And I think we're now at a moment in time where we see that this approach did not work and we need to have more outside involvement, some form of monitoring and oversight to ensure at least that the recommendations of the Duchamp Report are implemented. That would already be a really good start yeah. here.
0: Yeah, external oversight. And you know, someone said to me recently, who is in the military and who has um, has um, who has dealt with this as part of uh, you know the the lawsuit, says, you know, I I believe we need a leader with a vested interest beyond their career. They need to believe it's the right thing to do. It's just not talking points. It is the right thing to do. And I thought, wow, um, I'd like to believe that uh, there are those leaders in the military, and I'm sure. That you would like to believe that as well?
1: Yes, for sure. I, but I also think that it will be a learning process for everyone. It's not just that, you know, you, you really believe it or not. We need to understand mm-hmm. that it is a really difficult task. Yeah. Um, and that it will take... Um, collective responsibility, collective learning. Um, it won't be easy um, for us to accomplish, but I think that um, collectively we have to do it, and it will rely on, um, on leaders in the military collaborating and, and
0: doing their best, for sure. I think we'll leave it there. Thank you so much for joining me this afternoon. I appreciate your time, your your insight, and, and certainly your expertise on this topic. Thank you so much. Thanks for your interest. Bye bye. Take care now, Dr. Maya Eichler, joining me this afternoon, and Dr. Eichler again, an expert on military sexual misconduct. She leads the Center for Social Innovation and Community Engagement in Military Affairs at Mount Saint Vincent University in Halifax. I mean, it's been called a, a crisis right now, an institutional crisis for the Canadian Forces, and um, and we talk about culture change, and and that is a huge amount of work that is going to take a lot of work and i think we keep hearing about you know independent oversight you know uh you know and, and i think that that's where it's going to end up having to go because from what we've seen is that um the military hasn't been able to police itself or it has been policing itself but not doing a a, a good enough job on on getting it right